0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Okay, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, we are Leechfest.
1: We are the Leechfest.
0: We are at the Leech Fest, and this podcast is gonna be about medical history. My name is Raluca. I have a degree in medical science, and with me
1: is Mia. I have a degree in history. Yeah, and a lot of medical history, but not not like what people actually did, but more like how people thought about medicine, mm-hmm. how people thought about science, and the ideology of medicine. So,
0: okay, so you, why why are we doing a podcast? Well. You came up with the idea first, Mia, right? Like yeah. you you wanted to do this. You've been wanting to do this for a while. Like I've been,
1: were... Yeah, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. And you wanted to do something that was like very history-based.
1: Yeah, like I'm a content creator already, like before this podcast. Mm-hmm.
0: You do YouTube.
1: I do YouTube. I am a YouTuber. Watch my channel, please. Um, What's
0: your channel name?
1: It's Mia Mulder. <laughs> it's my name.
0: It's her name. Cool.
1: Just uh, go to miamulder.com. Um, I'm probably sponsored by someone right now. Go must
0: must be nice. <laughs> it's
1: great. If you want to sponsor this podcast on episode one, please do.
0: That would be neat.
1: That would be very neat. I'd love that. Uh, so I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time that is more like history focused because my YouTube channel is a bit of a mishmash. I do I do all sorts of things on my YouTube channel, and I feel like on um, you know I kind of want to stretch the history muscles a little bit like mm-hmm. properly. Mm. I want to I want to I want to flex. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I kind of approached you, because you know actual medicine, and I feel like medical history is, you know, people like gross stuff on podcasts. We kind of we found each other, because we both wanted to make a sort of podcast thing.
0: Yeah, so I'm not a medical doctor, um, just in case there's any misunderstanding. I, I have a degree in uh, medical uh, science, which is like the research aspect of medicine, but, you know, I'm interested in, um, in history as well. So I thought it would be fun to, you know, pair up with Mia and maybe come up with something interesting together. Um, okay, so what are we talking about today?
1: We're talking about uh, the history of, like, mental health. Uh, mm. m- more like... and
0: More like the- mental illness.
1: Mental illness and um, how society has treated people who are mm. what we would today call mentally ill. And what people did with those people. You can you can expect that this is going to be an episode that deals a lot with asylums and the like. But we'll try to cover most of world history. Obviously, it's gonna be a bit, you know, it's gonna be a little simplified. It's not a university course.
0: Okay, yeah. We're gonna do a bit of um, like an overview of mental illness, like, you know, for as far back as we can trace it. Mm-hmm. And we're gonna take it a little bit through ancient history and then we're gonna focus more on like modern history, right, like 1750? Yeah. Like 18th century? Yeah.
1: We're, st- we're starting with like prehistory. Exactly. Uh, little bit of middle ages, little bit of uh, like leading into the renaissance. That's when things are turned into high year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, let's get into it.
1: Let's get into it. Okay so um prehistory they, how did uh, how did our stone age
0: ancestors, ancestors view mental illness um okay well before we get into that let's talk a bit about what um like what is mental illness and how has mental illness been defined over the course of time because yeah. the way we look at mental illness now is a bit different than the way people used to look at mental illness. Mm-hmm. So now somebody who's mentally ill, generally, you know, that is somebody who is a threat to themselves, a threat to others, maybe can't take care of themselves, mm-hmm. can't really do their daily tasks mm. and responsibilities. In the past, that wasn't really like that. It was it was really anybody who wasn't conforming to the role that they were supposed to fill in mm. society.
1: Which is kind of easy... For us to look back on and say right, mm-hmm. because like even today, a lot of definitions of mental unhealth is that you know someone who can't live, quote unquote, a normal life by mm-hmm. themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And like, what do we mean by that? Mm. So that that is very much that that we as a modern society is sort of looking back on history and like we are judging history, and we are we're gonna judge history a lot here. But you know, it's good to have that in mind that like even even today we are we're kind of we are, we are judging people based on like how how normal. How normal of a life they can live. Even mm-hmm. if we're probably better at it today than they were.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm sure people in the future are going to look back at us and be like, damn, they were...
1: They were doing some wild shit?
0: Yeah. They were treating those people very nicely. Huh? No. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we can not fix mental well. health. But that is how we kind of view it today, yeah. isn't it? How... And we're obviously gonna talk about how that changes throughout the podcast, mm-hmm. throughout history. Mm-hmm. So let's 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 go back in our time machine. I'm mm-hmm. pulling a crank in real life here. In the mm-hmm. time machine. There's a sound effect going on that we're traveling back in time to very early prehistory perhaps on mm-hmm. how
0: mm-hmm.
1: how they viewed mental illness and how they did with it, how they treated yeah, it.
0: Yeah. For sure. The earliest trace of mental illness treatment mm-hmm. we have is from old skulls and cave paintings that date as early as six millennia before christ that depicted cases of uh, trephination. so that was when holes were drilled in skulls that were meant to let spirits out so people believed the spirits were trapped inside the skulls and they thought that by drilling holes in their skulls that you know the spirits would go out oh, and the person wouldn't suffer from mental illness anymore And that was a case of, like, a supernatural cause for mental illness, you know. People used to believe that mental illness would um, come up because of one of three reasons. So the first one would be, you know, supernatural reasons, such as possession, uh, displeasure of gods, planetary gravitation, eclipses, um, sin... A second one was somatological. And that was like imbalances due to physical illness or disease. And then psychogenic was the third one. And that would be like traumatic experiences and distorted perceptions and things like that. So trephination was meant to, to cure illness that arose due to supernatural reasons.
1: I wonder how much of this is because of anachronistic view on how they described it. Mm-hmm. Because I imagine like, I don't imagine that meaning like, Stone Age cave people being like ah you you' you're 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 you are sad you have anxiety obviously you have unbalance of serotonin and dopamine levels in your brain so we're going to give you like this bark to fix that like I don't really see that happening mm-hmm. uh, so I'm wondering if like to them it was probably a very scientific solution your head is hurting you let's let's drill in it and see if it, see if we can make it better I'm wondering like if they fully believed it was with a fully bad spirits or spirits is like a metaphor for just like bad stuff in i head.
0: mean i think it's a mix of things They, you know they they i think people in six millennia before christ they didn't have so much to base beliefs on they didn't really have explanations for anything so then it was very easy to come up with like superstitions and you mm. know think of spirits or doing things yeah. Um, but I think that you are onto something there. That you know, if the source of the the source of the disease was based in the head, in the brain, then maybe it makes sense that they wanted to to do something to it. Although, what I'm wondering here is, how did they know that it was based in the brain?
1: This is one of the like pitfalls of history. A lot of the time, we just don't know yeah. the the details, but we do know that they drilled holes in in heads.
0: Mm-hmm. We do we do know that. Right after, well, I guess not right after, but about four thousand years later. <laughs>
1: Immediately after the first head drilling.
0: <laughs> about four thousand years later, there is, this, uh, you know, the, this Chinese concept of yin and yang comes up. So then, here the Chinese physicians and philosophers they come up with this concept of complementary, positive and negative bodily forces. Uh, so yin and yang which they use to attribute both mental and physical illness to an imbalance of forces within the body and so they believe that allowing um allowing for these forces to to go back in balance would would restore the person to to health
1: a sort of like precursor to the humors which we'll mention in a bit yeah exactly that's interesting it um i find it interesting that it's that it's uh, physicians and philosophers mm. because a lot like especially in like antiquity that's like very common yeah that's, exactly like there exactly the, there is there is one type of science and it, mm. it is philosophy one where, type of
0: science, science is everything they were yeah. chemists they were physicians yeah. they were philosophers they were astronomers it was all it was a five in one
1: yeah and this is before the scientific method to especially like uh, we're gonna mention the ancient greeks soon but like this happened in early early chinese philosophical history as well where most of the time these people didn't really do experiments Mm -hmm. is most of the time they just sat and like thought like that makes sense that like logically this makes sense yin and yang balancing within each other if you have too much bad stuff that's not good Mm. makes sense let's put it on paper and believe it for a couple of thousand years
0: run me my money now (laughs) run me my (laughs) scientist money (laughs)
1: give money please emperor please give me money i came up
0: with a theory today
1: (laughs) But, like, people, like, you know, it was, people wanted explanations, and their job was to give explanations. Yeah. And if, um, they didn't necessarily have to prove them, but Mm -hmm. as long as they kind of made sense. Yeah, yeah, um, makes sense. Yeah, makes sense.
0: Makes sense. Well, uh, so that was 2,700 years BC. Now we're moving to close to 2,000 BC. So in Mesopotamia in um, Egypt.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Fertile crescent.
0: The Fertile Crescent. Well,
1: I guess Egypt isn't in the Fertile Crescent, but still.
0: Right. So in Mesopotamia and Egypt, they start uh, describing women suffering from um, mental illness as uh, suffering from a from a wandering uterus and which was later named hysteria by the Greeks. So the idea was that the uterus could become dislodged and travel through the body and attach itself to other areas of the body, causing mental dysfunctioning. And so, as a result, the Egyptians and later the Greeks employed the somatogenic treatment of strong-smelling substances to guide the uterus back to its proper location. Therefore, restoring the person to good
1: health. I love, I love strong-smelling medicine. You do. That's that. That, the idea of like, this person has this person has hysteria. This person mm. is completely out of control. Let's put him in a room with something stinky. <laughs> something stinky. <laughs> something stanky. I, I, something nasty. I do. Something real dirty and mm. gross. And they,
0: they, that, they did that like a long time, like for a long time, didn't they? Like ladies in the Victorian era would like smell oh, yeah. those, like
1: oh bath salts, bath salts. salts. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh they oh, were popular. I I that, the like, Empire, the or oh, the British Empire. Oh, that's a big thing. People talk about tea and stuff, but like oh mm, different types of salts, salts that they were what? smelling salts. What oh.
0: were they? I don't know actually. Okay. A quick we don't need we don't, okay, need, we to
1: don't need to we don't need to look at that it. That's, that's a whole episode on it f- smelling salts
0: smelling salts could be okay. a
1: minisode. we can do a, We can do a special on a
0: little that. minisode.
1: but yes smelling salts is a big thing like mm. um, the because the idea was that you can sort of ingest chemicals by, by smelling them um, or well basically the smell would affect your health not just mental health, but like physical health, like your it would affect your body. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, guide your uterus back to its proper location, yeah.
1: we, just
0: with the help of some some stinky stuff.
1: Some stinky stuff. Um, Makes sense. Some some something to counter the miasma. <laughs>
0: um, okay, uh, then come the Greeks. So, four hundred uh, years before Christ, we have Hippocrates. He attempted to separate superstition and religion from medicine by systematizing the belief. That physical and mental illness were connected with a deficiency or a nexus in one of the four body humors. We all know about them: the black bile, the yellow bile, the blood, and the flag. So it's kind of I guess it's yeah, like you said, mm. the you know the yin and yang was a bit of a precursor to this. But he he you know he thought that some sort of imbalance would would lead to physical illness, and mental mm. illness was a physical illness. And he yeah. was actually quite revolutionary in in like being one of the first who who actually um, connected the two
1: as opposed to like being something that that's caused by bad behavior or sin or yeah, displeasing or, the gods or
0: spirits or astrology
1: Yeah, exactly like this is something that is connected to the physical body it's not from the it's not from the astral plane mm-hmm. That's it's a physical
0: illness, illness. Yeah. Um, so he classified mental illness into four categories epilepsy Mania, melancholia, and brain fever. And another thing that he actually—he was one of the first people who do this. He really tried to um, to, inst- to institute this belief that those suffering from mental illness should be cared for and not shamed or like um, shunned, shunned. Yeah, um, exactly. Cast
1: out from society.
0: Cast out from society. So that was 400 BC. Mm-hmm. We're gonna jump a little bit. I'm gonna
1: jump a bit. Well, I mean, we, sh- we should also mention that like Hippocrates was definitely onto something. Yeah. Like he, you know, we 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 kind of make fun of the humors today mm-hmm. because we have you know we have the periodic table, we know what chemicals and molecules are, we know what we know what cells are. Mm-hmm. He's just running. He's just sitting like under a palm tree in Greece, being like drinking some olive oil and wine and having drinking
0: olive oil, <laughs> drinking
1: olive oil just straight from the glass, and just thinking like. I think there's some small parts inside of us that balance. Like when they're out of balance, they make us bad. Mm-hmm. Which you know, that's still kind of the truth today. it instead of four, there are like a gajillion different humours.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, he was onto something, and you know, it was it was pretty cool to see that he, um, you know, that he he showed empathy in that way. And that um, was
1: the last time empathy was shown for for a, for a couple good, of thousand years.
0: For a good couple of thousand of years. So when I was uh, talking earlier about how mental illnesses were usually attributed to one of three reasons, one thing that I didn't really mention was that there wasn't really a linear transition between the three. So it didn't go from like, you know, supernatural causes in the uh, prehistoric era, then to somatological and then to psychogenic. It was more like like a back and forth between the three, which was... You know I mean it just it happens like you know you you have some regions undergoing some things, things change all the time mm-hmm. history is messy history is
1: very messy but there they, it's one of the great misunderstandings about history that history sometimes moves from like from a or organized into organized and mm. from 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 like barbarous to civilized, but that's not that's, that's not at all how it works no not like at all. Um, movements come and go and there are different like cultural changes there are Their technological change and all these things mess with each other, and everything's a big old mess.
0: Right. So Hippocrates tried to 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 make clear. He he really tried (laughs) to institute that idea that mental illness had somatological causes. So it was it was linked to um, to physical illness. There was something going on in the body Mm. uh, that was causing it. And then when we look, we you know we, we move back, we move forward in time, and we go into like medieval Europe. Uh, supernatural... and there's no
1: empathy at all. Anymore. There's
0: there's no empathy, and also supernatural reasoning for or like attributing men- mental illness to supernatural reasons makes a big comeback. Mm. Superstition, astrology, alchemy, all that takes hold, and they start uh, bringing back all of these like old fashioned ways of looking those things. So mm. they start trying to cure illnesses with like prayer rites and like relic touching and confessions and exorcisms. So there's a, there's quite a step back from what, um, the ancient Greeks were trying to do. And there's also, there's the, the people with mental illness, uh, really, Go through a hard time. Like people are not very empathetic towards them in that time.
1: <laughs> they're having a bad. They're having a bad moment. <laughs> they're for, having
0: a bad moment.
1: It's a, I mean, it's the reason it's called the Dark Ages for many mm. different reasons, and it's not like it was particularly good for people who were mentally ill at that time. Too. Right,
0: like they start doing trefinations again in you know. Go back into the 13th 13th century Europe. Also, like women displaying signs of mental illness, they're persecuted as witches like nothing else. Mm.
1: And got, that got that wandering uterus.
0: <laughs> got that wandering uterus. And it doesn't end. So the, the witch uh, burnings, they don't end until like the 7th, 17th or 18th century. Like it goes late. Up until and during the Middle Ages, the mentally ill are really the responsibility of their families. They're The state doesn't really intervene. So they're either taking care of their families or maybe by local parishes if they're lucky enough to live in an area where there are any. Otherwise, there really is, there's no support for them. So in the case where their families can't take care of them, they they end up destitute um, or in workhouses.
1: Mm. I should mention, like, for a long time, like, during this, like, there is no really such a thing as, like, the state. You know, there's, there's, like, your local lord. Your local (laughs) lord. And if your local lord lord doesn't want, like, your local lord probably doesn't care. Yeah. Like, he he probably just wants to party and i say he which is statistically correct for mm-hmm. the middle ages your local lord wants your taxes and
0: and your sheep and, and your, your eggs sheep and, and your, your, eggs your most eligible maidens does
1: not want your mentally ill they can go go to the crusades they can go conquer some stuff they can die in the siege he does not care
0: <laughs> he does not care yeah exactly well that's that's what i mean when i say the state yeah right but okay but once we reach mid-16th century, that is when um, we start seeing the first asylums become um, established, specifically St. Mary of Bethlehem in London, known as Bedlam, and the General Hospital of Paris. Um, so those are the, the very first actual establishments for the mentally ill that appear. So their, their mission uh, was to house and to confine. The mentally ill so these these very first establishments really their purpose is to gather all the the mentally ill and put them in a in a in a building and hide them from the rest of the society they also took in the poor the homeless the unemployed the criminal basically all the undesirables produced by war and economic depression
1: well I it also it's like took took in implies that they welcomed them in they were they were forced in. they were forced they in, took yeah. them in violently
0: i yeah i guess i'm trying to be a bit more um <laughs> to be a bit diplomatic when i talk about these things but yeah these people these people were not cordially invited to join uh the other fellas in in saint mary's they were they were picked up yeah. they were
1: they were checked in there
0: they were <laughs> They were swooped off the streets. And they
1: were put in there like yesterday's leftovers in the in oh, a microwave. Oh
0: yeah, and 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 let me tell you, the conditions were not good. They no, were not good. They were not good. They, I mean, people back then, people really thought of the mentally ill as um, almost as animals. They didn't think that they mm-hmm. had feelings. They didn't think that they could feel pain. They thought that they were, yeah, they were animals. So they wouldn't they wouldn't mind living in in you know obscenely um, disgusting conditions. Yeah
1: the like uh, the idea of personhood the idea that everyone has personhood is a very modern idea mm. uh, and back in those days like you you are you are more of a person if you are virtuous if mm-hmm. you own property if you if you uh, are like in strong physical and mental condition like that that makes you more of a person mm. you're probably the most person if you're like rich and a noble that's yeah. When you're most person, if you're poor, you're not that much of a person, and if you're poor and mentally ill, you're basically you're you're, you're, basically you're an seen animal. as an animal. It should be said, that, like people in those days, like that's that's a very mainstream belief. So it's not as if people were like, I mean, some people definitely were just evil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, they were all pretty evil, letting them be in those conditions, but they would rationale it away with like, well, they're fine with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, they they literally thought they were fine with it. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they also thought that they were. They were just going to be violent if led to their own yeah. means, you know, and so they thought that only through fear could these mentally ill people be controlled. yeah
1: you mm. got to keep them in basically prisons.
0: yeah, basically prisons, so there was a lot of there was a lot of abuse, there was a lot of physical violence. there was you know it was not a good place to be. Mm. Um, St. Mary's actually became famous for also allowing the general population to watch the patients for a fee. Um, a zoo a, a human zoo basically so i i'm i'm happy that we've we've come
1: we've moved we've, past we've the moved, zoo era
0: we've moved past the zoo era exactly
1: there's not a viewing booth that people can come and watch people in the psych ward today right so at least we have that
0: one thing that these asylums added um, was that they did believe that mental illness was physical. So they did treat the patients as they as they would treat physically ill patients. So um, they, you know, they did purges, they did bleedings. So I guess that is something to say about the way that people at the time viewed mental illness.
1: They're trying to, the idea is that they're trying to fix them. Instead of just isolate them. Yeah, they them tried.
0: They tried to treat these people, but they also, you know, they didn't perform exorcisms on them. So mm. the the way that the, they didn't believe uh, that mental illness was a curse from the gods, mm. you know, they were trying to move away, bit from the supernatural mm. uh, way of looking at it. Mm. Okay.
1: We have these very basic institutions, right We have bedlam mm-hmm. <laughs> literal literal bedlam
0: unfortunately, we do
1: unfortunately we do and it's it's chaotic mm-hmm. it is' it's, full of human rights abuses it's dirty it's dirty, it's nasty <laughs> it, is, uh, it is bad generally it's, for patients
0: yeah it's a cesspool of human rights violations
1: <laughs> a cesspool of human rights violations what we would today call human rights violations yes. back in those days human rights didn't exist um, so for most of the world there is there is no such thing as like a specialist institution you can't really like if you're if you're an average joe in, in society at this point you can't just go to someone and be like hi I have mental health can I talk to a therapist mm-hmm. and they'll be like what the hell is a therapist <laughs> Go and pray. Have you sinned? <laughs> go go to, go to a priest.
0: Confess, my son, and you shall be saved.
1: Yeah. So, and at the turn of the 18th century, there's really there is really nothing mm-hmm. almost for the for most people. If you're very wealthy, you can you can you can have um uh, uh what's it called a doctor, a physician, a mm-hmm. private physician. And they will sort of take care of you. Uh, there is no such thing as necessarily a psychiatrist or mental health specialist, but you can get a doctor, mm-hmm. and they will give you some smelling salts.
0: They will give you a potion.
1: They will give you a potion. Uh, madness, which was, which was the name, was seen as very much a domestic problem, like, as you mentioned, like, it's something that's dealt with families, or, like, within the village, the small community. It's right. not really seen as a health problem or a yep. societal
0: thing. It's more like behavioral issues that, you know, your family can can deal with themselves.
1: Yeah, Exactly. And most times, most times Most times Most Sometimes
0: Sometimes into the asylum you go But most times your family can take care of it
1: But around the age of the enlightenment There comes this idea that like We should reject the supernatural We should reject uh, re- Reject tradition Embrace <laughs> modernity <laughs> Yeah. And part of that goes like w- the, the mental ill are they, they are mentally ill of no choice of their own We should care for them. We should we should make sure that they are treated humanely and fairly. We should make sure that they are well taken care of and we should pot- potentially rehabilitate them.
0: So how does this start exactly? Like what, what exactly catalyzes this transition?
1: Well, it comes with a sort of general wave of the Enlightenment. For example, Daniel Defoe was a very ardent critic of private madhouses because he... Uh, he saw, you know, rife human rights abuses, and he saw that people, you know, weren't treated as people. He, you mm-hmm. know, they were treated as animals. And because, like, during this time, many of these private asylums, like like Bedlam, for example, they're they're kind of getting a little bit crowded. Mm-hmm. Like they're getting they're getting a bit full because they earn, uh, you know, they do this for profit. They mm-hmm. they make money. The more people they can stuff into them, the better. But the more people they stuff into them, the more of a like. They they rise to prominence, mm-hmm. so Bedlam becomes, as you say, it became infamous. Yeah. So more people get to know about it, and they see yeah. like, oh, this isn't good. Yeah, exactly. Um, it even became something called uh, a trade in lunacy, where people started to, well, like, it became like an industry. Mm-hmm. Like more people started to set up their own their own madhouses and started like taking money from from like the from like the local council or the, or the local um, MP, for example, to. To take in the, the, the local the local madmen, so mm-hmm, to say.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, it gets crowded and the conditions it gets are crowded, bad and people sort of like find out about the things that are happening and and so so it's is it like a push from um I guess that's not really a push from the population. It's more like a push from
1: well, it's a push from like thinkers, from, thinkers, like, uh, from, okay. from academics, mm-hmm. from from people who today would have way too many followers on Twitter, okay. who would have hot takes the, about the current. The local influencers. <laughs> the local influencers. Yeah. They're they're having thoughts. They're drinking their coffee, um, which is near They're
0: taking their baths. And they're, they're taking their
1: baths thoughts. and they're having thoughts.
0: Okay, makes sense.
1: But this doesn't really power through that much in like the, in mainstream society. Mm-hmm. Most people still are like afraid of Mm -hmm. the mentally ill, Mm. they still want them to be isolated and Mm -hmm. take, like, be away from the community. And so what happens is the government sort of wants to step in. Because right during this time, like the 1700s, what we would today call like the state also starts to emerge. Like we're we're transitioning away from local lords, we're going into municipalities, we're Mm -hmm. starting to have governments, elected officials to some capacity. Like kings and stuff already exist, but they're middlemen start to Mm -hmm. appear. Um, the bureaucracy. The appears. bureaucracy <laughs> comes, and everything became actually better. I shouldn't say I was about to say worse, but it has became become way better. Uh, not for the mental ill, though, because um, uh, what happens is the government starts to see this as a sort of a problem. The private uh, houses—they're treating the people bad, and they're the, the mad people. They're you know they're, they're not getting better. They're not they're getting just, better anyway. They're
0: just locked in a building in filth, like
1: exactly. So. In London, uh, because it ha- this happened much in England and in France, this is where like a lot of this sort of institutionalization began. Yeah, where the the state is starting to take responsibility for for these people, and because a big statewide effort to build like asylums that are owned by the state. And the idea is that they will be far more efficient. They will be far more humane, and they will have better expertise. In 1774, uh, Britain in- introduces licensing le- legislation, mm-hmm. where those private houses they have to license with the government in order yeah. to stay going. Mm-hmm. If they if they don't meet certain criteria, they can't run anymore. Mm. However, these madhouses are increasing because it is a profitable industry. Mm-hmm. A lot of these uh, licensers they can't really keep up with the growth. Mm-hmm. Like they're they they're starting to license some of the early houses, but more and more just pop up anyway. Mm-hmm. And they might shut down shut down one, but then two more pop up anyway. Yeah. And they yeah. It's too it's too it's too chaotic. profitable.
0: It's too good. <laughs>
1: it's too good. And that's because during this time, families would often like pay the Madhouse. Mm-hmm. Like you have a family member, can't take care of themselves, they're they're being quote unquote mad Mm. Uh, and the family will pay like a pretty pretty penny
0: for somebody to take them off their hands
1: yeah to take them off their hands like they will take care of them instead they will say to the family like we will take care of them in in the in the manner that best suits them god which is usually like chucking them in a in a in a barracks and they'll do hard labor it's basically it's basically a prison that and that doesn't really change but eventually uh they start opening up Houses for pauper patients, which mm-hmm. are people who, who don't have any family to pay anything. They don't have any... The community doesn't pay for them to go in. And they are completely destitute. Their numbers also explode. And their patient numbers also explode. Because now anyone can sort of get in. But once they get in, they're kind of caught in the system.
0: So what year was this?
1: 1774.
0: 1774.
1: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, this is, this is the age of enlightenment, right? And compassion becomes becomes a virtue. Far more so when in the UK, the ruling monarch at the time, George III, mm-hmm. uh, he suffered from from a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Like he, uh, he, he. He had a mental disorder.
0: Was he bipolar? I think I remember reading something about that.
1: Probably, like you know, the the, the descriptions of the day aren't clear yeah. exactly what mm. what it was. He had a mental disorder, yeah, but, but he, I, I today it, he would I probably it be classified exactly. As well. Like,
0: yeah. it, I think it fits with the modern definition of bipolar disorder.
1: Yeah, uh, but he experienced a remission. Mm-hmm. Basically, he had like an easing of symptoms, right, in seventeen eighty nine, mm-hmm. and suddenly, British academics are like, "Oh, this isn't." you're not doomed, mm-hmm. you can actually get better from these things, kind of. Mm-hmm. And this is where the ambition of curing rather than, like, maintaining mm-hmm. or, like, isolating becomes more of a priority.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Mm.
1: Um, and a similar thing happened in France in 1792. A man called Pinel <laughs> became the chief physician at a hospital in Paris. Mm-hmm. And before he, he got there, uh, inmates were chained in cell-like rooms, there was no ventilation, and uh, they were, they were the prison was currently, like, oh, I say prison, the hospital. <laughs> Same thing. At the time, it was led by someone called Jackson Taylor, mm-hmm. and he was killed in an inmate's uprising. Uh, and that led to Pinnell becoming, like, the chief medical officer. Yeah. Because all of the patients were like, this, this guy is... Really, bad. But during his leadership, under Pinnell, the new the new guy, the new chief medical officers, he started uh, freeing patients from their chains. He would use straitjackets instead of chains, much more humane, <laughs> um, and they could move around the hospital grounds instead of being in underground dungeons. Mm. And this yeah, was seen ba- as like baby
0: steps here, baby
1: steps. And like, this was seen we're, as, like, not... <laughs> we're making great progress yeah. now because now they're not trying to kill the doctors constantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> trying to escape. God. And it was successful. They started uh, this. They brought in more of these reforms, these humane reforms of straitjackets mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh, above ground cells, uh, and they brought them to to other to other hospitals. Um, and because it was seen as more efficient, the the state started like using this model. In other places as well. Yeah. But because private institutions aren't really using these models in the same way, they're slowly getting phased out. Mm -hmm. And suddenly a sort of statewide approach becomes the norm. Mm -hmm. Like a state asylum becomes Mm -hmm. like a standard way of doing things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, many of these old ideas about isolating them, uh, isolating the mentally ill away from mainstream society... That is still sort of the main goal mm-hmm. like people... St- that was think- still
0: how asylums like functioned for the most
1: yes like, for the most cases th- these ideas of like healing and uh, rehabilitation and things like that they are very they are the sort of ideal mm-hmm. and that is that's very much like what they said that they were doing but the the reason why the asylums got money, the reason why the state sort of take it over is very much. This is a problem for society, and we're going to isolate that problem and keep them like concentrated somewhere else. Mm, like we're keep going them to
0: away from, like yeah, like keep them the, away
1: from real normal society. Norm- so to say. Normal people. <laughs> normal people.
0: Yeah, and it's important to note that like they were st- like even though they were treated a bit better, they were still so the mentally ill were still feared, and they were still yeah. very much treated as as different and as um, less than. So they were, like you say, they were concentrated in a in a little in a little building, like mm-hmm. very very far away from cities. Like yeah. the, those asylums were usually built in, like you know, in the middle of the forest, on like mountains, mm-hmm. on elevated grounds. They were surrounded by water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, built on islands. Built on islands. Like it's it's so interesting to look back at like how the architecture of these asylums like really reflected. The way society looked at mm. the mentally ill back then, and how society viewed the way that um, treatment should be—primarily isolation.
1: Yeah, it's very much seen as a, as a like this. These people can't exist in in society. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Maybe
0: they can get better. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But we're not gonna take any risks. We're mm. gonna put them in this building, and we're gonna. You know they're gonna do hard manual labor. We're gonna tire them out so they don't have energy to yeah. to like <laughs> to fight the employees. Like they yeah. Other than the isolation, how was is life inside an asylum? Well, they really um, they really tried to to maintain a very strict routine for the mental ills. They thought that um, mental illness was caused by overstimulation. So they thought yeah. that. By removing excessive stimuli, then the mind could have could have the opportunity to calm down and restore to its functional mm. state. So then, mentally ill people were really were they were given a very strict daily schedule. They had to wake up at the same time. They had to eat very plain foods, mm-hmm. cornflakes, cornflakes. Um, you know, not, well, not
1: yet, but basically cornflakes.
0: But, you know, like I'm, 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 I'm guessing that they had like porridge. Yeah. You know, like. What did they eat (laughs) back in the 18th century? A lot of porridge, A lot of porridge, a lot of gruel. You know, I'm guessing like maybe boiled vegetables if they had them. Yeah, yeah, so they had to do a lot of uh, manual labor. I'm guessing that was, the purpose of that was to tire them out. And probably also like some sort of puritanical, like Puritan ideas were in place as well.
1: Um, Like don't masturbate. (laughs) Don't, Don't think about the other, the other sex. Don't. Yeah. No, don't have impure thoughts. Yeah,
0: um, these, these
1: will only sully your mental health.
0: Exactly. So I, I I'm, I'm guessing that the, that they were trying very hard to mold these people into, you know, good members of society. Yeah, like they were trying to to make them
1: like upstanding, upstanding citizens, upstanding,
0: hardworking. Uh, clean Mm. you know like that that whole thing
1: very much by the by the norms set of the time exactly
0: so they they also had like uh, religious readings and things like that
1: Mm. i love to read the bible and cure myself of depression
0: in addition to labor education religious readings um and the general isolation a lot of asylums also used hydrotherapy that was big at the time so uh, warm or more commonly cold water allegedly Reduced agitation, especially for those experiencing manic episodes. So, so people were um, most often submerged in a bath for hours at a time, or mummified in a pack, or sprayed with with cold water. Unfortunately, physical abuse by staff members was also common as a means to reduce physical agitation. So, what we said earlier about how all these all this new legislation was introduced um, with the purpose of cutting down on abuse in asylums. That is true, but there were still old-fashioned practices being implemented in these asylums, mm. and that includes physical abuse, and that does still include um, physical restraints. And I think a lot of it was just because that was honestly just easy to do. Yeah. That was the easy way to calm down an agitated patient, and mm. the, the laws were still not like heavily enforced enough for it to, to be... Like difficult to do.
1: Yeah. And you know, at this time, the, you know, as we mentioned, like the main purpose is to isolate. And uh, maybe maybe for like And the like people keep who... them under
0: control. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: And the pe- for maybe for the for the few patients who were under the direct supervision of some of these like more humanist thinkers, maybe they had gotten a little bit better. Mm, yeah, exactly. But for the majority of people who were in in asylums, they didn't really, you know, they would often fall under the the whims of whoever they were, yeah, exactly. subject to. Exactly. So, and and you know, again, the 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 object here is to isolate, not necessarily to cure. Mm. So, and the
0: subject here is like poor people. I, I guess it's fair to say that people who ended up in these asylums were really not treated with gloves.
1: No, and it's really hard to to sort of get across the idea that. Many of these earlier asylums and I found this surprising when I when I did some research. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the earlier asylums, the people who were there, they were mostly like as I mentioned, they were put there by their families, for example. Yep. The people who could afford. But if you were completely poor, like if you had no one, you would most likely just die on the street or be <laughs> or be in a workhouse or like you wouldn't get any any sort of like even conventional support. You would just be poor. And be worked to death in a workhouse, mm-hmm. um, but during this sort of statewide measure during the early 19th century, that's when that's when poor people because the government is taking people in, right? So that's when poor people are really being sucked up into into being isolated, mm-hmm. even when they haven't done anything wrong. Uh, maybe just for having like light mental issues, right? And at the, and at the same time, this is where people who were previously like a bit middle class who would be taken to like a hospital or something would have a, they would like be slightly too poor to have a private physician but they were like rich enough to have a, to go to asylum they're they're leaving this like the system en masse yeah. they're, they're going somewhere else they can afford better p- private clinics I think to understand this is best to understand in scale because in the beginning of the 19th century France and Britain combined uh, who are pretty big countries? Uh, they only had like a couple of hundred patients in the early eight, in the early 1800s. So then you know again people who were were, were uh, given away by their families essentially. But by the end of the 1800s, this population has is completely boomed. This is where the government is like really taking taking hold. Uh, so it goes from a couple of hundred to hundreds of thousands of people in these asylums crowded very crowded but they're also building asylums constantly there they are there there are asylums in every major city and they're huge mm-hmm. um and people who previously may have been sort of like explained away with like oh you're you're sick uh, but as long as you can work you're fine
0: mm-hmm. like just
1: go home and work i guess like you're sick but whatever now they're sent off to asylum uh, people who admit to being especially sinful, for example. Previously they can confess or they do something else. Now they're sent up to asylum. Yeah. Women who have any sort of issue, asylum. Yeah,
0: it just ends up being like a, a catch all do-all.
1: Yeah. If there's something wrong with you, if you're not a perfect citizen, yeah. asylum you go.
0: Yeah, actually when I was um when I was researching um a bit for this I found like a an old like an old I don't. I don't know. I guess it's like a compilation. It was like mm. some old books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found some records from from an uh, asylum that was operating in the 18th mm-hmm. century. I found a, a PDF of it. It was great. Oh, amazing! With like, with the recorded causes for institutionalization,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and there are so many just non-mental health related causes yeah. <laughs> in this PDF. It's it's a really it's really quite something. Mm.
1: Um, yeah, because it's it's not just you know today when we talk about mental illness we talk about like depression anxiety well like we talk brain chemistry back in those days they yeah, they like were like anything health- that makes you act differently that yeah. affects your behavior in any way and
0: it's not even just affects your behavior but also just like. Impacts your like functionality as yeah. a as a as, as a citizen as a member of society. So yeah. like ill health or just illness was a perfectly acceptable reason to send somebody to an asylum. Yeah. Uh, having a menstrual period
1: <laughs> was I mean well if if, if someone has a menstrual period and it and it just it irks them really bad. Off to asylum you go.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it
1: changes their behavior in a way that
0: perhaps your husband doesn't like. But like religious excitement is another one. You're too um, Christian. You're too Christian. You're too You're too into it. It's good to be Christian, but yeah. you're, you're a bit...
1: You should be into it, but not that much.
0: Not that much. Um, bad experience at a seance was another one. So, you know... At a seance? Seance. <laughs> I english is not my first language <laughs> um so, so spirit rapping meaning um a bad experience at a seance that was another mm. one you know just got a little too excited yeah. at a séance.
1: a lot of these um around the time seances were big too yeah. like mysticism was like a big thing it would really guess it's risky
0: like... you know you have a you have a too fun night
1: Having a séance mm.
0: and it doesn't you know, go good. It doesn't go good. And you and your, your buddies
1: are out. You're having some drinks. You talk with some ghosts, and it, it doesn't go good for it you. It doesn't go
0: good, and then you're you're, you're upset about it, and you're locked in an asylum for yeah. twenty years. Like that's a risky activity to do. Yeah.
1: Be. Well, you were you were very you shouldn't got, you shouldn't have gotten that upset about that bad experience. <laughs> if you did, if you wanted your money back, no, you you shouldn't have you shouldn't. If you're not that upset, you you would have avoided the asylum.
0: Yeah, but I have to say that a lot of these. A lot of these recorded causes, they seem very, like, specific to women. You yeah. know, a lot of causes, which I can see, you know, could cause a lot of, like, emotions. Mm. So, for example, like, loss of a child, lactation, having a menstrual period, neglect or abuse by a husband. Um,
1: which is wild to me. Like, if if you're upset about being abused by your husband, you're going to be You're asylum. the one,
0: get, like, getting you're sent.
1: Gotta have a stiff, up, stiff upper lip.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, if, exactly. it's just
1: don't you dare be upset in this in this time period yeah in the 1800s if you're sad
0: if you're you an, die and uh, yeah so i mean being an emotional woman was not no. um it was not taken lightly no um by like 18th 19th century mm. um europe
1: yeah it's dark
0: it's dark yeah So we were talking earlier about asylums, which were aimed at poor people. Um, but of course, that that wasn't the place where everybody would go. So mm. we, we all know about sanatoria. We all know it. Is that the
1: plural of sanatorium?
0: I think there's different ways of saying it. I found sanatoria, sanatoriums, sanatoriums. Mm. Um, there's all sorts of different ways to say it. But anyway, so they were still mental institutions, but they were for-profit businesses. And they had a very different mm. demographic.
1: <laughs> kind of kind of like the early asylums, like before it became institutionalized. Like they were for-profit. Yeah, they
0: were for-profit. They were private businesses. But so they were designed more for the wealthy eccentric mm. as opposed to the poor psychotic. <laughs> so that is that is very much, um, you know, having money. Really, like yeah. draws, like puts you in a different category if you have the same problem. Yeah. So, um, so initially they were built as a place for people to go when they're recovering from um tuberculosis and other, you know, respiratory conditions. Mm. And they were usually built at high altitudes because it was believed that you know the the fresh air combined with, um, you know, the cleanliness and the. The, f- the full service mm. would allow sick people to heal and recover and get back to their to their normal self
1: which is a very smart thing actually because i feel like a lot of these people you know wealthy they were probably like you know trying to escape like big cities, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the Victorian era.
0: Yeah, cities were like, dirty. <laughs> they were
1: so dirty. Like, if you're listening to this, you, we, we talk about like a dirty air now. You, We can't even imagine how dirty the air was. Yeah. Buildings were black from the coal in the air. Yeah, and like, the
0: streets were running with human waste, then, with animal waste. I mean, they...
1: If you if you want to do something, oh, we should do an episode on this in the future. We uh-huh. should do an episode on the <laughs> big stink in London. Yeah. Well, basically, there was too much poop in the
0: water. There was too much poop.
1: Uh, everything was awful like i can imagine like trying to get out and like to the mountains being like oh it's fresh air here i can I'm actually not actually poison."
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so it was originally they were originally built for people with tuber- tuberculosis and, and other respiratory diseases but they soon realized that actually this is this is a nice place for for people to recover from other sorts of illnesses too yeah. um and so combined with the the full service and the the clean air and the open space, the good nutrition. Yeah, they they thought that that would help um, people suffering from from uh, mental unhealth, from mental unhealth, from uh, people who who needed to rest, people mm. who needed to to take a moment. Mm. They they thought that that would be a good place for yeah. them to stay. And
1: more importantly, people who could pay for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was. It was
1: full it's like a full service resort. hotel stay. It was like
0: a resort. Yeah. So I mean they still they still used treatments and I think the people like the people who went there were not um I mean oftentimes it was their families that sent them there. So mm. even though the conditions were much better than um those in an asylum they were still
1: they, like were, they were still kind of sent there. They were
0: still kind of like mental yeah. institutions. So they still used, you know, um hydrotherapy and they still mm. used it was not it was still not the most pleasant place to be but it was definitely better than asylums um, they still used similar, concepts such as isolation they still had like a pretty strict um s- like schedule and regime they still um had to do um, manual labor uh, which consisted of walking through the gardens <laughs> um
1: having a good think
0: having a good think but they also had more innovative therapies such as massage and gym and uh, gym exercise mm.
1: oh yeah oh, i I've, I've seen some i've seen some very early photographs of People doing some early gymnastics mm-hmm. to hearten the spirit. Exactly. Um, where they just they're just doing PE basically. Mm-hmm. In
0: running in circles around the running Ugans. in circles
1: like doing jumping jacks a little jumping bit. Jumping
0: jacks, yeah.
1: This will cure you of your of your child shock there from the <laughs> from the Second Boer War.
0: I'm liking the accent. <laughs> mm,
1: thank you. All. And they had to, you know, they had to treat their clients, like, relatively good, because you don't want to send back, the There was like, the no young... physical
0: abuse in
1: those No, orders. exactly. Oh, well, maybe a little bit. We can't say that there were no physical abuse. There was probably one guard somewhere who, like, beat some heiress a little bit. Or, well, like, some heir, some heir some some air prince a little too hard. And then, then Daddy Dukesbury comes back from the <laughs> war on the Western Front, and goes like, oh, you... And he shuts down the entire thing, and then he has a new hotel.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm just saying,
1: it probably happened at least once.
0: probably happened at least once,
1: for sure. History is big, a lot, every... In fact, it's often stranger than fiction. So this is where, like, rich people end up, right? But for most people, for the grand majority of the population, they go to one of these many hundreds of asylums that are now cropping up all over Europe. And many of these asylums were connected to universities. Because universities have also during this time also grown. They've changed from the Middle Ages. There there's it's no longer like one guy teaching ten people. It's, <laughs> it's actually like it's an institution now. As just as the government is an institution trying to uh, that has created the institution of asylums, now it's the institution of universities. And there are people who are specialized, and there are people who specialize on the mind. And they are very interested in these, in these madmen in the asylums. And where, and where this was a slightly more common, this happened all over Europe, but where this was slightly more common was in, in the German-speaking sphere. Because whereas Britain and France are like homogenous nations with a state... Uh, there is, Germany doesn't exist yet uh, for a large part of this. At the end of the 18th century, uh, 19th century, that's when Germany starts existing, but, and even then it's kind of disorganized. Uh, so many of the asylums there weren't like driven by the effort of the government, they were driven by the effort of universities themselves. Uh, and the, here's where new methods start to arise around the uh, in the 1800s, and especially the late 1800s.
0: Okay, so like what new methods?
1: Well, the, this sort of, remember how I mentioned how the ideal is that we should treat these people, even mm-hmm. in the asylums, that like this will be good for the patients. Yeah, And it should be done with a humane method. That is the ideal. And it was very much the ideal of like think people who thought more than actually did things. The <laughs> realities were very different from theory. While in universities, they want to uplift. They want to uphold the theory as much as possible. Right? Mm-hmm. They want to be the ideal. But while this is happening, we're kind of we're kind of issue. We're kind of approaching a problem, uh, and that is that these asylums have been swooping up so many people in them. They have been growing to such an extent that overcrowding is once again becoming a problem, and is becoming a problem like we've never seen before. Where hundreds of thousands of people, sometimes millions of people are in these asylums. Uh, In the US, the asylum population jumped by almost a thousand percent. And numbers were similar in Britain, Germany, France. And many asylums would have double their maximum capacity. Mm -hmm. And that's despite building hundreds of them constantly. And again, they were big. So obviously, they are... They are... Rife for unhealthy conditions, they are they're crowded. Supplies aren't enough. Food isn't enough. There's their breeding ground is for diseases, and obviously as said, as was mentioned. Also at the same time, these universities and another part of them, they're experimenting with something called eugenics. 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 <laughs> I'm Swedish. Yeah, Pardon. we didn't
0: we didn't mention this, but um, yeah, i Swedish oh and God. I'm Eastern European. So if we mispronounce something. Uh, please be patient we english is not our first language
1: <laughs> it's it's how it, it's how it is it's how it is um, so while this entire population is exploding that happens at the same time as the eugenics movement is 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 also growing uh, academics and thinkers are having basically the idea that hey maybe we can create perfect citizens mm. or or in some races a perfect race <laughs> Oh, boy. By eliminating bad stock, like with livestock. And after all, humans are animals, so maybe we can do the same thing with humans as we did with animals. This is triggering and, me. And this is, It's really, its it, you know, this is what happens. And this is sort of clashing with the ideal in mental health institutions, right? Because uh, the ideal is we want to help these people, we want to help them rehabilitate, we mm-hmm. want to... But there's still the idea that we should reform them mm-hmm. into productive, healthy citizens, as I mentioned, yeah. which is what eugenics also wants. And the asylum movement, or the institutions in general, they're faced with a dilemma. Mm-hmm. Either they, they 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 try to continue and fail, which, which they've already been failing for a long time now, to be humane, be reformist, like try to... Improve the living conditions for these people, but that yeah. hasn't worked. Obviously, mm-hmm. like the population is exploding; it's getting worse. Yeah, or they double down on the bad aspects of it yeah. on the on the molding good people yeah. and eliminating bad stock. Uh, and in the early nineteen hundreds, this becomes and like, from and from most nations who are at this period of time like involved in like building their own empires across mm-hmm. the world, mm-hmm. European nations are trying to like they're trying to get one up over each other. And, obviously, one way to do that is to have the best citizens. Uh, and uh, this leads to uh, compulsory sterilizations for the feeble-minded in many different uh, Western European nations. As late as the 1950s in Japan, uh, there were uh, sterilizations of people with psychiatric illnesses. In Sweden, it was up to the 70s. Mm-hmm. And in the early 1900s, what is happening in conjunction with like the eugenics movement, uh, the overcrowding of asylums, is the first World War happens. And uh, we can make an, an entire episode about that, also, obviously. But what happens is, after the war, suddenly there are millions of people coming home from the front. And many of them have shell shock, or, or what we would today call PTSD. And many of them are, in turn, like, there's no way f- where for them to go except for in the asylums, which are already overcrowded, they're already, like, too bursting with people. And... Um, What happens is suddenly basically every single family in all of Europe and um, in the Western world, so to say, they're kind of faced with the confrontation that, oh, these asylums exist and they have awful conditions for most people. And suddenly the, the, the original goal of the asylums to keep them isolated, to keep them separate and kind of hide them from the rest of the world, it fails. And people and the Western world has to sort of confront that these people exist. Yeah. Uh, which leads to people wanting them to become better, but eventually, obviously, we reach a second world war, and and of course, this this eventually leads to, like parts of the Holocaust, yeah, where in Nazi Germany, uh, the action the T four euthanasia program resulted in the kinds of thousands of mentally ill people housed in in German state institutions, yep, and so and because the Nazis they don't really care about these highfalutin ideals of of the of the of the reformists they don't they don't they don't care about them yeah. they just want them gone they want to produce a perfect race and these feeble-minded they're they're desti- they're around that which leads to around 6000 disabled uh, babies children and teenagers being murdered uh, along with thousands and thousands of thousands of adults after the war after the second world war the western world has to deal with the fact that nazi germany Decided to double down on their sort of inhumane treatment. Maybe we shouldn't do what the Nazis did to sterilize and eventually genocide. Maybe we should start listening to the people who actually want, you know, their returning soldiers to be, well, taken care of. Maybe those are the people we should listen to instead of the eugenics movement. Yeah. And this leads to around the 40s and 50s and 60s, for a movement for deinstitutionalization. So, deinstitutionalization really takes like in its initial first steps in the 40s, with conscientious objectors mm-hmm. um, admitting themselves to asylums mm-hmm. and then reporting on what's happening there. They're pretending to be mentally ill and
0: okay, so reporting like... what's
1: happening. And then they, then they go out and they report to newspapers being like, oh, look at what's oh, happening so, in this asylum.
0: So, like, infiltrating asylums.
1: They're, yeah, they're infiltrating asylums. And this becomes because they object to the treatment of people who are there. Because, but who who were they? they were people of all sorts. They were people who objected to, uh, to I, like, they were anti-eugenics, for example. Okay. They were people who were just against, like, bad health. Like, people, there were some people who were just organized around, like, wanting better conditions for the mental ill. Like, okay. that, that was, like, a movement in and of itself. Okay, I see. And they exposed abuses throughout the entire psychiatric system. And, the, and this
0: was in the 50s and the 60s. In the 40s, even.
1: In the 40s. This, uh, yeah. So this started happening in the 40s. Uh obviously like during the war people had other things on their mind. Yeah. But this is really important because before this, like in the Victorian era, most people, like sure newspapers existed, but they were very much like controlled by like high high up interests, mm-hmm. right? Who were often like connected with the owners of the asylum either with government or senators, right so the the world didn't really know how things were mm-hmm. but in the 50s, information is becoming so more widespread mm-hmm. like there are more newspapers there are more air's information the telegraph is becoming more popular there's radio there's uh, telephones like it's communication is like never before and so now these sort of stories have an easier time penetrating the sort of uh, journalism mindscape. Uh, the government can't control everything that's out and nor can the rich. And so when these people expose these abuses in the system, it really hits. It hits society. And when John F. Kennedy got elected, one thing that he wanted to do is he really wanted to close many of these asylums. And he passed uh, he passed a law that said basically that we're going to shift the burden of care away from a like, large, centralized big asylums to community care
0: mm-hmm.
1: with with a big idea being that if these people are like, treated in their own communities surrounded by you know their own families and then like in their home basically or like well you know in their hometown at least or in the home region uh, treated by people who know them that will be more effective mm-hmm. um, because that also forces people to sort of keep uh, these institutions under check like, if an asylum is, as as they were often built, like, in the forest or in the mountains or something, yes, that isolates them and, like, keeps society safe from the mad people, sure, but it also leaves them with almost no oversight. And yeah. that's where these abuses come in. Yeah. If if you have an office on Main Street, mm-hmm. you can't torture your patients yeah. as much because they will scream. Yeah, like people it's, a, will bit, be like, it's hey. a bit more,
0: yeah. It's a bit more in the public mm. eye.
1: And, this, and, and the idea was that this will sort of force people to be more humane.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. So.
1: And that is sort of where psychiatric care kind of got incorporated under general hospitals Mm -hmm. because, you know, hospitals were more in the community. You needed a clinic. And suddenly uh, these clinics were like, okay, (laughs) we need to take care of these people now. First of all, we can't. So most people who were in the asylums were released, which is a good thing. Like most people who have like, depression or anxiety don't necessarily be need to be locked up god knows i would be in, in an asylum if that was the case <laughs> so many of the local clinics started to hire um therapists they started to hire uh, psychologists they started to like in, uh, employ the people who were who were sort of, of trained specialized
0: in... in this field exactly as opposed to just like nurses or physicians
1: exactly yeah. like and, uh, and very much people who were like, more socially accepted. Like, doctors who previously in the asylum, they were often specialized in, as is, like, um, hydrotherapy, yeah. uh, electroshock therapy, uh, all of these things that, like, sound bad and aren't very popular for, like, mainstream people. Like, people don't want that to happen in their own hospitals. But people are fine with, like, occupational therapy, art therapy, group therapy. These things, people are fine with having in their hospitals. Mm-hmm. Like, that's socially acceptable. Yeah. And they're way more humane. Um, so there are people who are who do that sort of care, but, and this also led to like dealing with overpopulation. Turns out the best solution to dealing with overpopulation is just to let people out. <laughs> who knew? Who the fuck? Who to Maybe that can be applied to the prisons. Uh, and there was definitely an argument that community services would be cheaper because new psychiatric medication made it more feasible to release people in, in the community. You know, this is the fifties. This is where this is where a new sort of treatment comes in, where it's like we can we can treat these people with chemicals, and that's where people start giving out uh, instead of having them isolated in the big hospital, we can just give them Vicodin. We can just give people pay- pills. We just pop them pills all day. Mm-hmm. As um, uh, if you know anything from like fifties and sixties, like. Medical commercials. Mm-hmm. This is very popular. Mm,
0: there's a lot of like tranquilizing going on. A lot
1: of tranquilizing. A lot of like n- numbing of, yeah. of, of things, and that's sort of still the same er- area where we are today. Like there is there's a very clear line from like having, you know, arguably very dangerous medications, uh, by today's standards, to 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 people realizing, oh, well, these medications aren't as effective, but maybe. For example, like benzodiazepines or uh, antidepressants mm-hmm. or anti-anxiety medication, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people have today, along with things like therapy and similar sort of treatments in in the local clinic. Yeah,
0: so there's kind of a smooth transition mm-hmm. between tranquilizing people in uh, in hospitals into what we have today, which is medication plus therapy plus other kinds. Exactly,
1: of- like th- this this sort of system of of, of This, like, there was a massive shift, right, from asylums to local care, but from that local care, sort of where everything got augmented into, like, that therapy, uh, medical, chemical medication, uh, therapy, like, uh, I said that already. (laughs) Um, Well,
0: different forms of therapy. Different forms of
1: therapy, yeah. And that's sort of wake up. Yeah, and However, I guess like
0: self care. Self care is another one. Self care, you know, like physical, physical exercise, and and yeah. meditation and things like that. And all of these which things are popular
1: ha- today. Exactly, and all of these things happen like during the 50s and 60s, during like the building of the welfare state as well. So like there's there is still like this big government sort of responsibility here. Mm-hmm. But suddenly it's like for everyone, like everyone should be mentally fit, everyone should be physically fit, uh, everyone should be well fed, everyone should be well taken care of. Everyone should have unemployment benefits. And it turns out, when, when you do all of, these, all of these things... People feel better. People feel better. Wild. Um, <laughs> however, the asylum system, even though it got massive, massively reduced, still hasn't gone away. No. Because we still have... Uh, we still
0: have asylums. We, we still, still have, have...
1: Psych wards. Well, psych they're wards. not called asylums anymore. They're called closed uh, mental health institutions. No,
0: but a lot of them are still asylums. There's still yeah. a few few out there there's that could freedom. definitely do with some reforms.
1: Probably. And the, um, the, the only reason they exist is because the idea was that we can't get rid of them because mm. they are the criminally insane. Mm. There are those who literally will be a danger to society yeah. if they can't, if, if they, like, they have to be isolated. And those still exist. And there's yeah. an argument for, you know, how, how that should be done. Who is mentally insane to the point of, of, of that? Like, yeah. how do we define that?
0: It's still, I mean, it's, it's kind of this is very interesting to you know to look at pictures of those places um and because a lot of those places are have been built like you know three or four hundred years ago
1: yeah um so
0: and and you know like sure the practices are better but Mm. there's still like a of abuse going on in some of them so it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that the buildings and the practices are like kind of, yeah. Quite old-fashioned.
1: <laughs> yeah, you keep hearing things in the news about like you know, you like know, abuse going on, abuse in some going on yeah, against people who are so like mentally unwell that they that they can't but
0: really i mean there is i know that there's a lot of racism going on and oh, a lot of them a lot of like yeah. there's a lot of abuse going on against like women of, of color mm. um i know there's one particular um psych like ward in new york which is particularly like has has a lot yeah. of really bad re- reviews yeah bad, bad reviews
1: <laughs> they got oh my god <laughs>
0: Um, yeah. Yeah,
1: but it, it, it's something that I that I forgot to mention during the during the deinstitutionalization. Many of the asylums that were that were built during like the 1800s, in like, the early 1800s, like during this like big statewide effort to build these buildings they were still in use up until the 50s and 60s. Yeah. When, when, like, these legal changes happened, changed. And this had happened in America primarily sort of first. Like, there were gradual changes everywhere, obviously. Like, again, history is messy. You know, other countries delayed. Like, Sweden didn't really change its system until 1975, which is wild when you think about it. And uh, many of these systems have also, like, been transferred on to... like tacked on to other things because the people who are in power within these asylum systems, you know, they didn't want to go, they didn't want to change. So uh, in Sweden, for example, many of the old practices about how how to judge, for example, trans people, they Mm -hmm. were just taken from the old asylum system and just carried on into the the Mm -hmm. trans healthcare system Mm -hmm. uh, so that they wouldn't have to change how they treated trans people. In Canada, for example, many of these asylum practices were uh, they were closed down in quotations uh, only to be carried on into uh, being part of how they would treat uh, people from first nations
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and, and, and indigenous populations. basically people already knew that these systems were cruel and bad uh, and when they when they left some people still wanted to do them mm-hmm. <laughs> and managed to convince people in power to just yeah. let them do it it's like bad
0: practices exist in a closed system like they yeah. can't escape they have to go somewhere they have to
1: go somewhere <laughs> but also it really shows who the people in power think are like normal socially acceptable yeah. like yeah. during the 50s like maybe people in power start thinking like well yeah maybe maybe the mentally ill should be mm-hmm. more willful taken care of but not those like freaking trans people or those freaking like women of color nati- or women of Native color Americans. or Native Americans like yeah. the indigenous populations of northern something something like they people in power you can see where people in power wanted to enforce mm-hmm. uh, almost violently this sort of isolation and control yep. because that is what the asylum system was really about
0: yeah so how are mental institutions today what uh, what new methods do we see and what are some methods that are outdated or like that maybe should be reformed
1: well there's still like a very old sort of traditional practices that yeah. are that are still that are hard to get rid of mm-hmm. like there's still this idea that the walls should have a calming color, uh, yeah, not too much stimulation right, of the senses.
0: Right. Like psych wards are really sterile. They're looking, very sterile. Right? It's, it's all usually white, it's white paint blind. or yeah. like
1: light blue
0: paint. Very, very little furniture.
1: Yeah, almost no furniture. Almost nothing on the walls. Yeah. Very, and if it is, it's like something very like a flower. Mm-hmm. Like a photograph of a flower, no paint though, because that's <laughs> that's too surreal. You can't have that. Mm-hmm. And they're often like extremely underfunded, which yeah,
0: uh, mental health doesn't really get a lot of funding. No, unfortunately,
1: uh, which is kind of a weird side effect away from like they were always poorly funded for what they were. Like even when yep. they were overpopulated with hundreds of thousands of people, they like they would need more funding to not be overpopulated. Yeah. Um, but when the asylum system sort of fell apart. The sort of public consciousness about them, sort of worlds well, like, oh well, they're gone now. Obviously, like they don't exist anymore, so we don't need to think about that. But that also, that has also led to budgets for just normal mental health care uh, or psych wards being very low because people think that like they we, we don't need that anymore. Yeah, they're they're often understaffed. Mm-hmm. Um, they are often they're often like like a general population. Like there's there's very there's very rarely a sort of a uh, place where you can go, like for specifically like your type of mental illness. Like you're usually like shoved in like a room. You maybe get you like you might get your own room, but like you're gonna be in a hallway with people who have all sorts of different mm. mental conditions.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess you're you're divided based on like how predictable you are. Yeah, let's say that. Like if um, you can be
1: easily controlled, you'll be in like a low security sector. Yeah, like if like, you're
0: depressed, they they let you be sad with the other depressed people. If you're maybe more manic, I mm, guess they you know they
1: sort of like separate. Some yeah, but sometimes they don't. They don't. It really depends on the funding. Like sometimes you know sometimes they do mi- they do mix people who are have wildly different behavioral types mm-hmm. together just because like that's all they have that's all they can do, which you know isn't really conducive to to helping and something that has been sort of reported on occasionally by people who like want to be whistleblowers um, there are people who still today infiltrate psych wards for example like they 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 pretend to have a sort of mental illness to sort of uh, see what the conditions are and something that they a lot of them report on and something that a lot of people who have been sort of tricked into a psych ward yeah because that can happen which is (laughs) the wildest thing many of them report like once you're in a psych ward Everything that you do is, like, seen under a lens of mental illness. Mm-hmm. So what would otherwise be seen as, like, normal behavior will be explained away. Yeah. So, for, like, for example, like, there's no entertainment. Like, you can't charge your phone if you even get to bring your phone. You, so I could, I could might imagine be a book.
0: How, yeah, so I can imagine, like, maybe being, like, restless and antsy. Yeah. Like you, be- you, like
1: walking, around because you you, you, you know, you can walk around in circles, mm-hmm, uh, pacing. <laughs> pacing. There's nothing to look out out of the window. Maybe, maybe it's just a concrete wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe you just stare into space yeah. for a while. Yeah. And these things, like, if in real life, if you were just an like uh, a person in a room, and you were like, "Hey, this sucks. I have nothing to do," would make perfect sense to any reasonable person. Yeah. But in a space like that. Nurses will look at you, and they will—they will see that you're acting. Mm-hmm. You're acting in an antisocial way. You're mm-hmm. not behaving normally. You're
0: acting out. You're acting this, out. This pacing of yours is really—it's—it's—it's
1: it's it's, it's worrisome. And if you complain, God help you. Um, and they all—they and they—you know—they always want to sort of. They want to make sure that you're behaving well. Yeah. So they, it's still a lot about this control. So there's a lot of like yeah. sleeping pills every night to make sure that you fall asleep correctly. Like you can't stay up and read. Yeah, like you it really, to... it really
0: seems that they're so, um, so about enforcing uh, rules and so mm. much about so so much of it is just about like. Controlling your behavior, yeah. making sure that you don't overstep like the slightest bit. Yeah, it's very. It seems very oppressive. Very. Yeah. Um, um Nobody there is your friend. <laughs> v-
1: very much now, it, but it's kind of a good thing today that we kind of see some, or like the psych ward as a sort of last resort thing. Yeah. Like if you have mental unhealth, which I'm sure that a lot of people in who are it's, very it's very common. It's very common today. You don't really have to fear being institutionalized. But being institutionalized is still something you can be. Like deinstitutionalization hasn't gone hundred percent. Like we're we're maybe at ninety five, ninety eight percent. But you know, for some people who, for example, have a mental health crisis, they may they may be institutionalized against their will, and they may be put in a situation like this. Yeah, you have where... to be very
0: careful when you tell your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Tread carefully there. Tread carefully. Mm. And
1: that's, that's, that's a sort of like old traditions about how mental health care works, mm-hmm. like old ideas about how it works, still being a sort of foundational view of the most extreme cases in mental health, Yeah, which is completely inhumane. And I think in a hundred years or 200 years, we're going to be like, what on earth were we thinking? Oh my thinking? God. There are
0: so many things though, sort of related to mental health and mental illness that, or like so many practices. Mm. Um, that we have that I I feel like we are really going to look back at and be like, Mm. (laughs) oh, that was quite something. Yikes. One of them is the fact that we still do electroshock therapy. And this Mm. is something that I actually... actually found out about this not too long ago. I mm. was, um, you know, I, I kind of accidentally stumbled upon it. I
1: stumbled into electrotherapy. Yeah. As, We've as, all been as there. As you do. On Friday night.
0: So I was reading about it and, uh, you know, it's, it is it is still used for treatment of um, of depression.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Apparently there, from what I can see, there aren't so many, like, side effects.
1: There's short-term memory loss.
0: Short-term memory for, loss, for exactly. For a little bit. Short-term memory loss is one of them. Um, but I'm just wondering if this is, this is similar to like, like other things that we used to do to people in asylums where like now we look back and we're like, maybe they were, there were definitely side effects to that. But
1: at, at the same time, isn't electric therapy like effective for very specific things, right? Back in the day when electric therapy was sort of innovated, they used it for freaking everything. Like yeah, they, no, they, they is... if you were uppity about anything, like if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't like your cornflakes that morning, you. you bzz, um, <laughs> <Bzz>. <laughs> but like for very specific things, like for sometimes of like epilepsy it, and for some specific types of depression, like it can yeah, sometimes it, it can
0: help. It, I mean, it, it can help, but then this is a question of like, is this the best that we can do? Because even lobotomies, one could argue that they did help. <laughs> in some cases.
1: See, they, they they did what it said on the can. Right, like so, it, it did calm down people. It also made them it did wasn't you know wasn't good from their perspective maybe, <laughs> but you know it did you know for for the purposes of of what they wanted the lobotomy to do, it did work. It is true. Right. And like people
0: at the time were like, "Well, you know what? It, it helps." You like know, what's the problem. It does not, it, it ma- does work. It, it, so. maybe it's
1: a bit brutal, but you know it gets the job done.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so just look I mean it, there's there's just a part of me that, like, has a problem with strapping people down, attaching electrodes to their head, and running, like, 200 volts or yeah. whatever it is.
1: But at least it's consensual now.
0: I, I'm i sure that there were people who agreed to lobotomies back in the day.
1: Oh, there were. 100%. Right. That's true. But also, I feel like a lot of people Also,
0: what is free a- will? A- abuse, what is free will? That's an it- episode for it's <laughs> But so but so, what I mean is like, even though we we do this now, uh, it, it is still, mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's, things will change Maybe, in the future. Yeah. And we will look back at some of the things that we do today and we will be like, yikes it out.
1: <laughs> That's how I feel about antidepressants.
0: <laughs> antidepressants, exactly. Yeah. We don't know how they work. Yeah, we don't know why they work.
1: Yeah, because like we, if you, if you don't know this, dear listener, we don't know how antidepressants work. No. We do know that they do work. And we do know that they mess with the brain. But we don't exactly know why well, we that know... makes people less sad sometimes. Exactly.
0: We know the general mechanism of antidepressants. We know that they, you know, they increase the, the like, the general level of serotonin yeah. in the brain. But it's not, you know, there's there's a few details there that, like, we simply, we, we just can't explain right yeah, now. Yeah, we don't know. So, you know, what we do is we just give this powerful medication to people. And we hope that it works, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it does for like a third of the people who experience depression, anxiety, they help. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the mechanism is still not fully understood. And then lastly, I mean, we, we really don't even know the, the cause of mental illness—we we don't know where it comes from. We 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 know we know bits and pieces. We know, for example, that mental illness—that having one mental illness makes you more susceptible to developing other mental illnesses. We know that there's links between them, so there's different categories of mental illnesses. So, like, you're more likely to have the the mental mental illnesses from the same category, um, but really. Most of the things that we know about mental health are are still in the works. they are still just theories, so there's still a lot of unknown um, unknown factors when it comes to to mental health mm. and the brain in general
1: mm. And that's a quick summary on all of all of mental health treatments from the Stone Age all up <laughs> until today and potentially the future. <laughs> Uh, Just
0: a quick course on uh, neuropathology in there as well. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: We're probably going to return to some of these topics and, like, very yeah, narrow, deep dive. Yeah,
0: we, we probably missed a lot. We but, probably
1: missed um... a lot. But hopefully we can return to some of these subjects and, uh yeah. one don't,
0: day. Don't hold it against us. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you.
1: And uh, that's the podcast, I think.
0: That's the podcast. Okay. Well, once again, I'm Braluca.
1: I am Mia. You can um, find me on MiaMulder.com.
0: I do not have a media presence just yet. so uh, This is your media presence? Well,
1: other than this. The podcast.
0: I do not have a YouTube channel. Yet. I do not want to work on YouTube. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is a very fair point. Uh, we'll see everyone else, I guess, next time we make next podcast. Do, we should no we should, we should find an outro phrase before we start. What should be a fun outro phrase for a podcast? We'll find an outro phrase. One day we'll find an outro phrase, um, and that's our outro phrase.
0: Yeah, we're we're still working on our outro f- phrase. No, so. no, no.
1: One day we'll find an outro phrase. It is our outro phrase?
0: One day we'll find an outro phrase. Okay. Thanks for listening to our podcast. <laughs> One day we'll find an outro phrase.
1: One day we'll find a, an outro phrase.